Think back to a time where you experienced the most joy. Do you remember what generated that joy? Was it a vacation, a trip to an amusement park, maybe a wedding, a birthday celebration? Perhaps you were going on a fishing or hunting trip. Maybe it was an anniversary, a baptism, the birth of a child. Now let's do the opposite. Let's think back to a time where you were really struggling emotionally. Maybe you were sad or anxious or angry or depressed or even all of the, the above. Do you remember what caused that? Was there a specific situation or were there circumstances that caused you to feel that way? Maybe it's just because you had to stay at home for the last three or four months and you wanted to get out and you weren't supposed to get out and that just caused you to be uneasy. Maybe it's just what's going on in our society today and it's just making you kind of feel uneasy. It's robbing you of your joy. Perhaps it's a health issue. Maybe you went to the doctor and got bad news. Maybe he gave you really bad news. Perhaps someone hurt you by what they said or by what they did. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe you lost a loved one. It could be related to your finances even. You don't even know how you're going to dig your way out of this. Cause you to lose your joy. What if people and circumstances did not have to dictate the amount of joy you have? What if nothing that happened around you determined your joy? You, you may ask the question, well, is that even possible? I think we'd all go, man, I would sign up for that. You know, it doesn't take much to rob me of my joy. I mean, honestly, my car breaks down, I'm not thrilled about it. If someone doesn't follow through on a commitment, it frustrates me. If the stock market plunges, which it seems to be doing a lot lately, I don't like it. You know, if I'm getting ready to do a big workout outside and I'm excited about it, it's rainy and windy, it can bum me out. It just doesn't take a whole lot to rob me of my joy. How would you respond in this situation? A mob seizes you. They strip you of your clothes. And then they begin to severely beat you. They beat you with wooden rods until you're bleeding and almost unconscious. Then they throw you into prison and leave you for dead. You're in this prison with your back bleeding, this damp, dark dungeon. And why are you there? Not because you've done anything wrong. You actually tried to do a good thing. There was a young lady who had a demon, and you cast that demon out of her. And that's why you landed in prison. So let me ask you a question. How would you react to that? Or maybe even a more ridiculous question would be, could you find joy in that? The Apostle Paul did. You know, we're in the summer series right now that we are simply calling the life of Paul. Well, we're looking at the Apostle Paul who wrote so many books of our New Testament, and we've been going through the book of Acts, which describes his life. Later on in the series, we'll look at some of his writings. But today, we're going to focus on Acts chapter 16. And 
If you've been doing the Ridge Reading Challenge, you know that we just recently read in Acts 16. So what we're going to talk about today should be familiar to you. Now, Paul traveled all over that part of the world, starting churches and telling people about Jesus. The story we're coming to today in Acts 16, he is actually in a city called Philippi. And let me show you that part of the world with this map. Um, of course, this is Italy. This is the Mediterranean Sea. You see Jerusalem over here. This is be modern-day Turkey. This is modern-day Greece. The city of Philippi was right here in Greece. And it's actually still a city in modern-day Greece today. Um, if you were to go there, you could go to this city. It has about 11,000 people. So it's about the size of um, the, maybe the city like Greensburg today. So Paul was traveling throughout the world. When he got to Philippi, this angry mob seized him. Now, why were they angry? Well, because when he cast this demon out of this young lady that was tormenting her, what happened is it affected their economy. People would come from miles and miles around because she was a fortune teller and tell her, tell fortune, and so it impacted their economy. The mob didn't like it, so they seized him and throw him into jail. So let's read about it. This is Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now, the prisons back then were not like the ones today. The conditions were deplorable. They were filthy. They were unsanitary. There were rodents crawling around, probably rodents crawling on them. There were bugs. It was smelly. They didn't have bathrooms. If you had to go to the bathroom, you just went to the bathroom right where you were. And you may have noticed as we were reading that their, feets were clamped, their feet were clamped in stocks. Uh, we're not familiar with that so much today. We don't use that form of punishment here in the United States. There are actually some countries in the world who still do that. They'll use that form of punishment. Let me show you a, a situation like in South America where these two people were put in stocks. They were accused of being unfaithful to their spouses with each other. So they actually put them in stocks, one, to publicly humiliate them, but two, because it was punishment. I, can't, I don't know how long they left them here, but can you imagine having to sit like that hour after hour, maybe for days? And understand this, when Paul was put in stocks, it was deplorable conditions. I don't know that you can see it, but these people were actually sitting on cushions. Paul was sitting there on the floor, and he couldn't even lay back at night because his back was raw and bleeding from being beaten with the wooden rod. So what do you do in a situation like that if you're Paul? Well, you cry out to God, right? You say, God, get me out of here. God, help me. Or maybe you get angry with God and say, God, why have you put me in here? Why have you allowed this to happen? I've been serving you. I've been trying to do what you want me to do. And this is how it ends up? Why am I here? So how did Paul react? Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and his partner Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. What? They're singing hymns after all this has happened? I mean, if you think this is baffling, you need to know it was baffling to the other prisoners as well. 
So here's the question for us. How do you find joy in a situation like this? Because obviously, if Paul and Silas found joy, it would be nice to know so we can find that same joy, right? I mean, if we could find joy in any situation like Paul did, I think we would say, we're in. You know, the thing is, many times we tend to look for joy in the wrong places. So we're looking for joy, say, from status, you know, Maybe it's from the approval of others. Maybe it's from things. It can be from money. It could be from a position, like a, a position at our job or something like that. But here's what we don't realize. Often, what is underlying all those places we're looking for joy is a desire to find contentment or to find joy. What if you could find joy not from your circumstances, but from some other place. Because you know what? Your circumstances change. And you don't always have control over your circumstances. So if you're always looking to your circumstances to find joy, it's going to be a tough life. What if you could find joy in spite of your circumstances? Paul and Silas did. So here's what we want to do today. We want to take a journey into the heart of the Apostle Paul and see what his secret was, see what made him tick, see how he found no matter what joy. And, you know, uh, when we do that, some of you I know are visual learners, and since you're visual learners, um, perhaps you could understand it by me using some graphs. And, you know, we have a lot of engineers in our church, so uh, I think engineers like graphs. So if you're an engineer, if you know an engineer, if you're married to an engineer, maybe it helps if I explain it this way. Here's often, here's often how we think about joy. C- circumstances determine our joy. So the better our circumstances, the more joy we have, right? So if things go well and you know we have something coming up that we're looking forward to, then we have more joy. That's how we often think. But this is how life really works, right? (laughs) It's more of a roller coaster ride. If circumstances are great, so is our joy. But if circumstances aren't so great, we lose our joy. We're robbed of our joy. You know, we lose a job, or uh, maybe you do get bad news from the doctor and you lose your joy. Maybe you find out, you know, that uh, your kid has a learning disability and it just zaps, it just takes all the joy away from you. Nobody likes it, but that seems to be more like reality, right? Now, here was Paul's approach to joy. His joy was constant. He always had joy. It had nothing to do with his circumstances. He writes, in fact, sometimes he wrote this when he was in prison. He would say things like, be full of joy. Always be joyful. Give thanks in every circumstance. And you're thinking, Paul, you're in prison. How can you write that? I mean, was the guy delusional? Was he not in touch with reality or what? So let's look at Paul's story. He's in prison, this damp, dark dungeon, and yet he still found joy. And I think you can, if you study his life and look at his writings, you can see that there are at least three keys to no matter what joy. So, here's the first one. The first key to joy, priorities. You have to ask yourself this. 
what do I value? You know, you can choose what you value, but just know that when you do, the amount of joy you have will be impacted by that decision. And how do you know what you value? How do you figure out what it is that you value? You know what? There's a pretty simple way. Ask yourself this. If I had just one week to live, what would matter to me? Because that'll tell you real fast what's important to you, what really matters. Things like status and job titles and houses and cars and bank accounts no longer matter if you only have 168 hours left to live. Things that we put so much time in and focus on. What would matter? Having a conversation with someone, forgiving someone, spending time with someone, Focusing on your relationship with Jesus since you're going to see him soon if you've invited him into your life. You know, Steve Jobs said, if today were the last day of your life, would you want to do what you were about to do today? How can a man who has been beaten within an inch of his life and thrown into a dungeon while dealing with agonizing pain, sing songs of praise to God at midnight. Paul had this priority thing figured out. It comes down to what's important to you. Here's what Paul valued. This is what he wrote in Philippians 3.8. Yes, everything else is worthless when it compared to the infant value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Paul had one priority in life, anything that helped him know Jesus, helped him share about Jesus with others, helped him serve Jesus. So circumstances did not determine his joy. Advancing the cause of Christ did did. If you are a follower of Jesus, anything short of focusing on your relationship with Jesus will sell you short. But when He, when Jesus is your priority, then you can find joy no matter what your circumstances. Paul called everything else garbage. That pretty well lets you know what his priorities were, doesn't it? You know, what do you do with garbage? Well, you get rid of it. And many of you have a toter, and this is where you put your garbage, right? You throw the garbage in the toter. So I would ask the question, what do you need to put in the toter to make sure that serving Jesus is the focus of your life. Is comfort the focus of your life? So, does that need to go in the toter? Maybe it's control. Maybe you want to control your own life. You want to be in charge. Maybe that's your focus. Does that need to go in the toter? Maybe it's fear. You live with anxiety. You live with fear. And that's keeping you from the priority 
of making Jesus the focus of your life. Maybe it needs to go in the toter. <laughs> Maybe it's money. But that's where you're putting your emphasis. And it needs to go in the toter. It could be something like security. You're just trying to feel secure in life. Perhaps that needs to go in the toter. Or it could be a job. If it takes priority over your relationship with Jesus. And it needs to go in the toter as well. Now, when Paul says that he counts everything to be garbage, his language is over the top because he's trying to make a point. Not all these things that we threw in the toter are bad or wrong. But what he's saying is, comparatively speaking, this is all that matters. A focus on Christ. Priorities. So that's the first key. The secret to finding no matter what joy. Here's the second key. It's this, perspective. The second thing you have to do is ask yourself, what outcome do I value? If you value the right things, then the outcome can lead to joy, no matter what. Now you may be thinking, seriously, Jerry, you think you can find joy even in the worst of circumstances? Do you know what happened to me? Do you know what happened to my kid? Do you know what he said about me? Do you know what she did to me? Well, here's what happened to Paul. This is 2 Corinthians 6. He's talking about his circumstances. He says, we have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, gone without food. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, and even though we are, even though we are well known, we live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Did you just catch the phrase that I read? where he said, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. So you can be sad. Your heart can ache, and you can still have joy. How? Well, it's in your perspective. Uh, let me go back and read to you verse 7, which I skipped the first time because it shows Paul's perspective. Here's what he said. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. How do you find joy in any circumstances? You see your circumstances as an opportunity for God to work through and in you. Tony Dungy was the Super Bowl winning coach for the Indianapolis Colts. Those were great years, weren't they, when Coach Dungy was coaching the Colts and Peyton's quarterbacking. Um, maybe they'll return at some point in the future, maybe not this year. But what I respect most about Coach Dungy is the kind of person he is off the field. Class, integrity, and a follower of Jesus. His son Jamie committed suicide when Jamie was 18 years old. Absolutely devastating for any parent. And in Dungy's book, Quiet Strength, he talks about what he shared at his own son's funeral. Here's some excerpts. He said, it's great to be here today. Now, I know that's a strange-sounding message, 
but we want to constantly praise God. That's not easy to do. In fact, it's difficult at times. The only way to praise God at all times is to remember that God can provide joy in the midst of a sad occasion. Our challenge today is to find joy. Dungey went on to talk about different ways that he and his family had found joy during the most heartbreaking days of their life. He continues, For our family, finding that joy began at visitation, where we met so many people who loved and cared for us, those who have supported us. Dungey then began to cry as he continued to read. He said, What's kept our family going these last couple days is what we believe. And we believe God when he says that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. It's hard to accept that because we can't see it, but we believe it. I know Jamie is with Jesus. That's why we have joy today. We know that while we had him for 18 years, God has him now, and he will have Jamie forever. You find joy in your perspective. What outcome do you value? That God can use every circumstance for good? That's where Coach Dungey found joy. That's where the Apostle Paul found it. In the fact that God's power is working in and through him, no matter what his circumstances. So, no matter what joy comes from priorities and perspective, here's one more. Comes from a person. And we ask the question, whom do I value? Is Jesus the most important person in my life? Do I live for him? When I do, circumstances really have no bearing on my joy. You know, later in life, Paul wrote a letter back to the Philippian church, which is where he was located at the time he was thrown into prison here. And when he was writing this letter to the Philippian church, he was in prison again, and he thought he might actually be killed for his faith in Christ. It's at that point he wrote one of the most stunning statements that you'll ever read in the Bible. It's Philippians 1.21. Here's what he said. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. For Paul, if he lived, that many could serve Christ, even in jail. And if he died, he got to be with Christ. So he rejoiced no matter what. There's nothing you can do to rattle this guy because the circumstances had no control over him. He finds joy in a person, in his relationship with Jesus. John Piper, pastor and author, puts it this way. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to repeat that for you so you make sure you so you, I can make sure you have it. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And here's the thing. When you are most satisfied in him, that's where you find joy. So how did the story end for Paul in Acts chapter 16? The last thing we had read, he'd been beaten, he'd been, you know, almost to the point of death, he'd put in stocks, he was left in a dungeon. And he was singing hymns to God at midnight. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. 
All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for light and ran to the dungeon, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I think when he used the word saved here, um, he didn't mean it in the sense that we often think of it. He meant it in the sense of his life being saved. He thought he was going to be killed if all the prisoners um, escaped. But Paul and Silas go in a different direction when they speak back to him, when they answer him in using the word saved. They talk about salvation for eternity. Let's keep reading. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Just know this. Paul would have found joy if he had remained in jail, if he hadn't been released. We know that because later in his life, when he was in jail again, and he wrote the book of Philippians, the theme of that book is joy. So what's your next step today to find no matter what joy? Priorities? A perspective, a person. You need to make decisions about your priorities. You need to center your life around serving Jesus. You need to spend time reflecting on what your perspective is to see any and every circumstance in your life as an opportunity for God to bring good. You need to turn to a person to Jesus. Perhaps today you need to surrender your life to him, to trust him, to trust in what he has done for you when he died on the cross for our sins, just like the jailer and his family did in the story of Acts chapter 16. I'd like to close this in prayer. Let's pray. God, my prayer today is that we could see life like Paul saw life. And if we need a change in our priorities, in our perspective, or put our focus on a person, on Jesus. My prayer is that we would do that today so that we can find no matter what joy. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.